0: of the Bay. This is your host, Suki Wessling, and we are starting today's show with a pre-recorded interview with Christian Machilaru, better known in Santa Cruz as Christie. He's the music director and conductor of the Cabrillo Festival of Contemporary Music. The festival takes place in Santa Cruz over two weekends, July 30th through August 13th. Information about this year's festival can be found at cabrillomusic.org. Christy has been the music director of the festival since 2016. After this interview, we'll welcome live guests, including two of the composers featured at this year's festival. Welcome to Talk of the Bay. We're excited that you'll be joining us here in Santa Cruz again soon.
1: Thank you. My pleasure.
0: Let's start by getting a bit of an overview of the pieces you selected for this year's program.
1: First of all, um, thank you for the invitation. And, um, you know, it's so wonderful for us to be able year after year to present uh, uh, the program that the Cabrillo Festival does. And our signature really is the new. It's the idea that uh, everything that we do is heard either for the first time, or it's heard um, for the first time on the West Coast, or it's really heard for the first time for our audience. And this, uh, this concept, to create only the new and the latest newest, um, goes hand in hand with our devotion and our commitment to creativity and to the cre- creative process really, um, which is why we also bring most of the composers or all the composers that we can bring um, that have composed for us, um, we bring them to the festival so they can be part of the process itself. And we invite the audience through our open rehearsals to come and be part of the process themselves. So this is just a small little overview of how we do it and then what we do is music um, uh, this year we have a special focus actually that it's given to the percussion section um, as a musical instrument and we are presenting uh, three very important and wonderful uh, concerti for percussion and orchestra. Uh, The first one I will talk about is the double concerto by Jennifer Higdon, who was written for one of our own percussion players, uh, Svet Stoyanov, and the principal percussionist of the Houston Symphony, Matthew Strauss. And this uh, concerto, this idea came as a result of their friendship. Uh, So I'm very happy that we can present this uh, um finally, in Cabrillo, it was a pandemic uh, postponement as well. Then, uh, another concerto that is very close to my heart because I uh, appreciate and respect uh, his music and his work is tandun 's Tears of nature and this is a response that he had as an artist to the Fukushima. Uh, disaster the nuclear power plant uh, failure and he conceived this uh, concerto as a response to uh, the way that nature responds um, to to um, um, what happens uh, around us. And um, I'm so happy that we can present uh, this composition because I think it's uh, quite wonderful what Mr. Tandun is able to do, even beginning with two uh, rocks that are uh, singing together in some way. It's, it's really quite unique. Mm. Um, and then we have uh, the concerto Rise and Fly uh, by Julia Wolf, which is another uh, percussion concerto that uses actually the human body as the main instrument to create percussive sounds. So there's a lot of uh, really interesting uh, sounds that come out of uh, um, out of the soloists' hands, really s- literally speaking. So this is at the core of the festival, is this focus on the three uh, big works for uh, percussion. Then we have uh, other composers, uh, young and old, that are coming. We are bringing uh, a few composers for the first time um, uh, to the festival. Um, I'm happy uh, one of the composers that we were going to present last summer, um, who actually, uh, uh, because of a COVID uh, cancellation in the orchestra, we were not able to present her music, is uh, Sarah Kirkland Snyder. And we have changed slightly the, the... composition that we were going to present and instead uh, we asked her if she could if she were to pick the piece that uh, she would like us to do which one would it be Um, and then uh, she uh, asked us to do her composition called forward into light uh, which as she writes it's a meditation on uh, perseverance bravery and alliance Uh, inspired by the work of American women suffragists. And um, this is a, a, a theme that we've had before in the festival, but it's something that it's very important for me to continue talking about and to continue putting in the forefront. Um, then uh, we have another composer uh, on this con- on the same concert uh, by the name uh, Bora Yoon which is a composer that I met several years ago and she really struck me as an incredible voice um and uh, this composition that we are presenting it's a it's a composition that she she wrote uh combining a little bit from her past both uh, the two worlds basically the composition is called the wind of two Koreas because it uh, looks at folk music from both South and North Korea and she combines them uh, she combines them in this way so it's really uh, uh, beautiful uh, beautiful composition and then we have on the same concert we have uh, Sebastian Currier who is a uh, composers those that know uh, contemporary music especially um, American contemporary music um, will be, uh, will be very uh, familiar with uh, Mr. Currier's uh, compositions. And I met him again many years ago while performing uh, in Washington and immediately have tried to bring him back. Then we have uh, another composer that uh, was with us already, but he's a young, uh, brilliant mind. Uh, I love the way that he writes for the orchestra and he's able to bring in all kinds of interesting uh, ideas. Uh, I'm talking about Peter Shin and his composition is called uh, Relapse. Um, and uh, I cannot wait to share this with the audience because it's always both uh, uh, elements of uh, comedy and fun, but it's so witty and so intelligent. Um, we have another composer that was with us last summer, and unfortunately, uh, we could not perform her composition because of um, the COVID uh, situation, uh, so we are bringing back Water Sings Fire by Andrea Um Then we have uh, a West Coast premiere in a very big, important work by Carlos Simon. And this composition is called the Tales of Folklore Symphony. And Carlos is a composer we presented uh, perhaps four or five years ago in our, um, in our uh, workshop in uh, as part of our composers workshop when he was quite young and I'm so happy to see the incredible success that he's had uh, as composer in residence for um, the National Symphony. In Washington, which is actually how this composition came to be, because he uh, he wrote this for them, um, and um, I think anyone that will hear Carlos's music, he draws inspiration from uh, from his uh, background uh, as a church musician as well and his family's background, and it's really quite a beautiful story of American folklore and. Um, uh, of American idioms. Okay. Uh, then we have another composer that we featured um, uh, in the past uh, by the name uh, Gabriella Smith. And um, this composition, which is actually the only composition that I cannot. Uh, that I cannot pronounce because I just don't know how to pronounce it. It's a mathematical equation, really. But what I know, it's a West Coast premiere, and it's fascinating. Uh, Gabriela always uses uh, different uh, forms of inspiration, really, to to do something in music, and uh, I'm always particularly interested to see what she comes up with. Then we have uh, Gabriela Ortiz's uh, ZAM, which is a West Coast premiere, and this is... a Uh, composition that I immediately fell in love with when I heard it and I'm so happy that we can present it for the first time. Um, Olga Neuwirth is a composer uh, as well that has written a piece that I look sometimes for the perfect way to end an evening and listening to her uh, uh, Dreidel, which is a U.S. premiere piece I thought my gosh this is really the right way to send uh, the audience back home with uh, excitement and with uh, with this, you know, kind of look at life that is so beautiful and in some ways a little crazy, but it's exactly what you would expect uh, uh, from that uh, from that name as well.
0: This is Talk of the Bay on K-Squid. You are listening to a pre-recorded interview with Christy Macilaru, conductor of the Cabrillo Festival, which starts in less than a week. This segment will be followed by a live interview with composers Anna Klein, and Gabriela
1: Ortiz. We have a interesting focus in the festival. Um, the founder, the co-founder of the festival, Robert Hughes, who was himself a composer, very accomplished composer, unfortunately passed away and we wanted to create a tribute uh, to his music. So we are looking at uh, two of his compositions, actually, uh, on two different uh, programs. Um, And uh, this this is a little bit unusual because usually we have uh, only composers that are alive, that are with us. But in some ways, uh, Robert will be with us forever Mm -hmm. because he is really so much um, at the heart of what the festival represents and what it is. And on the final concert, um, uh, uh, an artist that I have uh, admired and um, I, I, I've i watched from a distance uh, for a few years now, uh, I'm talking about Xavier Foley, who is an extraordinary talent as a performer on the double bass. And uh, I have listened to some etudes that he composed for the double bass. And we reached out to him and we said, we want you to write a full concerto. Can you write something for full orchestra? And it was quite interesting. Interesting because he when we approached him he had he had yet to compose for a full orchestra but now he has done it and it's a it's a piece that is actually another uh, double uh, concerto so to speak for Eunice Kim on the violin and himself on the double bass and um, it's a world premiere it's a festival uh, co-commission and uh, I'm so happy to finally uh, be able to work with him Um, then we have of course the very wonderful very well known uh, really uh, family for Cabrillo Festival, Kevin Putz and his concerto for orchestra which we are able to do the West Coast premiere, it's also a co-commission of the festival Um, and uh, on the same concert another uh, young composer that I I really like uh, uh, Dan Caputo. Uh, who is from uh, Los Angeles area, and he has a very interesting way of manipulating time and manipulating rhythm uh, in a way that it's really quite. Uh, um, I mean, in in a way, it's it's like you know staring at one of those uh, paintings that make you feel like you're seeing things start to swirl around. That is the impression I get performing dance music. You know, you listen, and then all of a sudden, you feel like you're starting to understand a completely different pulse that it's starting to emerge from within and then to close the festival of course uh, we are paying a huge tribute to Alan Primack who is retiring after more than 30 years at the the head uh, executive director uh, of the festival. And uh, we decided to commission a piece uh, for her in her honor. And uh, we asked her to pick a composer. And she picked Anna Klein, who, of course, is very well known to the festival goers. And Anna uh, wrote a piece that is not just... uh, uh, is it's it's a bit of an innovation for all of us as well because it involves quite a bit of electronics and live electronics um, and she mm. collaborated with her uh, partner in creating this uh, composition so i'm looking forward to these many uh, double collaborations uh, in the festival that it's another theme that has emerged as we created the season
0: wonderful i i noticed a couple of the pieces that you mentioned are music that's never been heard before, and I wondered if you could mm. speak a little bit about that's so different from doing programming a piece that's in the classical canon. Obviously, is something that the musicians are already going to be familiar with. Programming mm. a piece that at least has been performed, so you can listen to a recording, is you know a step past that. But then, what? Do, how do you go about learning this music and presenting it to the musicians? <laughs>
1: Well, the first step is uh, having the courage and the trust in the composer that you commission to write a composition that they will write a piece that that you know you will like and the audience will like and the orchestra will be able to perform. So we always take a small leap of faith when we commission our composers uh, to write something that we then premiere. Um, it's it's a uh, it's not as simple as one might think that you say well you know you just commission someone and what happens happens because you know we take uh, we take our performances uh, very very seriously and after after that leap of faith really i approach every composition in the same way which is i try to understand the composer's uh, unique language and i do that by finding the consistencies within the music that they write i try to document myself by uh, listening to as much of their um, of their music and their other kind of compositions Um, and then a voice starts to emerge from within and patterns start to emerge from uh, the composition that uh, I'm studying and then I feel like I can do it justice but in case I failed miserably the wonderful thing in Cabrillo is that the composer is present with us Uh and is able to set me back on the right path.
0: (laughs) Has that happened to you?
1: Yes, many times. um, And I, I, you know, I keep that possibility and the door open and those that are able to come to the rehearsal process as well, uh, I think they will be pleasantly surprised by the atmosphere and the exchange that it's is uh, constantly um, in existence between the orchestra, myself and the composer, because Mm -hmm. we always constantly our goal is to create the best performance and the best atmosphere for that performance in the concert. And I hold nothing back. Uh, there's there's nothing about my ego. There's nothing about anybody's ego or personality. We go after the most important factor, which is the music itself.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I wanted to point out, you mentioned the rehearsals that um, anyone listening, you can walk into open rehearsals. All you have to do is go to the website Cabrillo music.org and look up the schedule and there's open rehearsals that anyone can walk into for free. Um, and it's a exactly. wonderful, wonderful resource for the community. And so my final question, let's imagine you're speaking to someone who knows nothing about contemporary music. What do you think is special about the listening experience at the Cabrillo Festival? What what do you think that someone who walks in knowing nothing might be able to get from it? <sighs>
1: Well, I think uh, in some ways, actually, music is never new because music has been around for as long as there have been human beings. We have always tried to find a way to express who we are, to express our deepest emotions. And we have always used art to do that. You know, was it a special dance? Was it a special uh, painting? Was it something that we sketched on a rock and tried to chisel a different figurine out of it? And of course, music was the easiest way to be able to express ourselves because we create sounds from the, from the moment we are born. And in some ways, that's what I mean by, by the statement that music is never new. But what's really fascinating is to hear how different people have this relationship with their own music and the way that they conceive the organization of different sounds in a new way. To me, it's one of the most fascinating things that can happen because it opens up the possibilities of what you have not imagined. And it's so important in life to maintain this window open where you are constantly allowing yourself to discover something better, something more beautiful, something more profound, and to me, discovering new music and listening to composers that are arranging these old gestures and the same notes that Bach and Beethoven used, but in a way that is their own language, this really brings uh, brings me into the, the the intimacy of their own world, and I really crave that. I really. Uh, become alive when I hear that because it's about the way that we share who we are and um, what we represent that is important.
0: Well, thank you so much for speaking with K Squid. Following this interview, we'll be talking to Gabriela Ortiz and Anna Klein. So you did a wonderful introduction for the two of them as well. We're looking forward to welcoming you back to
1: Santa Cruz. Thank you so much.
0: All right, and you are listening to Talk of the Bay. I'm your host, Suki Wessling, and this week I'm featuring interviews about the upcoming Cabrillo Festival of Contemporary Music. You just heard an interview I recorded with Christy Machalaru on Tuesday while he was in Paris. If you missed part of it, you can return to ksqd.org later to listen to the podcasted version. I'd like to welcome the first of my, two, uh, my three live guests, we hope, um, t- today. Um, Gabriela Ortiz is, the, is a composer who is in Mexico, I believe. And yes, you can unmute your mic and say hello, Gabriela. Hi, how are you? Hi, so nice to hear you. Yes, thank you so much for the invitation. Of course. So, I'm before I talk to Gabriela, I'm going to play a little clip so that you can get a sense of Gabriela's music, Altar de Neon. And so, everyone enjoy listening to that, and we will be right back to talk about music. Thank you. Gabriella, welcome back. Welcome to the show. And um, let's just start by talking a little bit about your composition. You can maybe tell us a little bit about what we just heard and and what your your what you, what you feel like you do when you compose. Well, the piece that you just
2: heard is a piece that is called Altar de Neon, Neon Altar. And it's a piece that I wrote few years ago. I did my master's degree at uh, at England, and when I came back to Mexico, um, it was it was a very important to me to get back to my roots and to get back to my own city. And and I think that Alvar Nunez, it's a piece that it really reflects that idea of of you know of. Of course, I learned a lot of things being abroad and being, you know, exposed to music in Europe. But then when I came back, I decided that I, you know, that I also wanted to, to get back to my roots and to find uh, a common place between what I've learned in, in Europe and what I've learned when I was a student in England and then what I had to, to say as a Mexican composer. So I think it's a piece that I like. It. I like it very much because... After being those years uh, in, in, in in UK, uh, I think that I finally start finding my own boys and this piece reflects that.
0: Um, can you tell us a little bit, I um, as a Mexican composer, I know that your, your parents were deeply involved in Mexican folk music. So how do you use folk music and other music in your compositions?
2: Yes, uh, my parents found this incredible folk music group called Los Folcloristas. So I grew up hearing this kind of music that was very natural uh, during my childhood. So I started playing the guitar and playing all these different instruments from all Latin America. And I think that my music uh, reflects that influence, but it's not that I, that it's that I do that I wanted to do that in a, in a conscious way. I think it comes in a very natural way. Uh, I think that it, it, if my music sounds Mexican or Latin American, it's because I'm a Mexican composer. <laughs> I grew up in Mexico City and I eat tacos and I eat tortilla, and this is part of my culture. And so definitely something that is just there.
0: Uh huh. Yeah, I, it, that's going to be really interesting to hear. So your compositions—is it Psalm? Is that how you say it? It's all in capitals. Yeah.
2: Okay. It's yeah, yeah. But but you know the thing is, it's a very delicate uh, you know question because normally when I say I'm a Mexican composer, normally you know the canons of the European music is that they they are normally they expect that the Latin American music should be sound in a certain way, uh-huh. that we have to feel in some labels. No, it has to be very rhythmic. Or, and I think that Mexico is a very big country and it's multicultural. There are so many things going on in Mexico. So make a definition about what Mexico is. It's very complex. But certainly, you know, my music, yes, it has those characteristics, but it has other, other ones, and, and 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 this is what I always try to say that you know we deserve a place in the in the, in the canon of the classical music or in, in the concert music because we produce good music, not only because we are exotic or you know this kind of you know thing that oh that's Mexico, Latin America, so that that you know, that music can only fit in in, in certain contexts like fiesta oh yeah fiesta latin American, and you know and, and and it's more than that it's much more than that We have to offer so many more. it's much deeper than that
0: well i i am really looking forward to hearing your piece which is going to be performed at the rise and fly um concert on saturday august 12th so thank you so much for calling in and we will um, I'll, I'll look forward to hearing it.
2: Thank you so much for the invitation. And yes, I am also looking forward to hearing my piece.
0: Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right. You are listening to Talk of the Bay on KSQD, and we are talking about the Cabrillo Festival of Contemporary Music. And I can now bring in Ellen Permeck, the Executive Director Ellen, hello. Hi, here she is. (laughs) It's always challenging in a community radio station when somebody has uh, pressed a button that you didn't really know existed. Mm -hmm. So I tried pressing a whole bunch of buttons and I found the one that had been turned off. (laughs) (laughs) That's how we do things around here. So I would also like to welcome um, the the composer, Anna Klein, who is also online. Hello, Anna. Hello. Hello, there you are. Hi, Anna. <laughs>
3: Hi, Ellen.
0: You. So, you know, I, I wanted the both of you together because I think that there's an aspect of this festival and of of modern um music that that a lot of people don't know much about and you two are involved in, which is the process of commissioning work. So um as listeners who are familiar with the festival probably know this is Ellen's last season as elect as executive director. Um, Ellen has been a a visible force in this this festival from you know, from the beginning and and has we we have all all of us who are concert goers have seen her um, commanding the floor uh, during concerts and and um, so Ellen's leaving. Ellen has been very very influential in this um, festival. So the festival staff decided to ask Ellen to commission a pe- to to choose a uh, a composer is that what happened?
4: Well um we have a, a longtime uh, life board member uh, Fran Fisher who's been with the festival longer than I as our CFO and when I made the announcement of my decision, she uh, Told our board president Claire that she would like to do something special in my honor and might she commission something? Uh, when uh, which, which wasn't going to be a surprise because I usually um, am the first person to bring that to Christy, which I did. And he very kindly asked uh, what would be most meaningful to me, who would be most meaningful to me, and without skipping a beat, um. Uh, I have had a fondness for both Anna and, in particular, her work uh, for many years. She's been here many times over many years. Uh, And so um, I told uh, Christy that Anna would be my first choice if it was at all possible. It's a short work, and it's a short time frame that we gave her. And he said he would invite her, and then maybe Anna can tell how that story went from there.
3: Yeah, so I received a, an email from Christy with the invitation and I immediately knew that I wanted to do this because Cabrillo and Ellen have been so important for me as a composer and in my musical life, um, which started, gosh, almost 13 years ago back in 2010 when Marin Alsop pro- pro- programmed A Piece of Mine and I've been really fortunate to be, go back several times since and to really get to know the orchestra. So it was also an opportunity to for me to say a little thank you to the orchestra, knowing the musicians really well, by now to really write with them in mind um, was a really special opportunity. So I said yes immediately.
0: Well, wonderful. So I wanted to um, give... Listeners will not hear this piece unless they come to the, um, the performance, which is what date,
4: Ellen? The performance is August 11th, but they can get... They can get a taste of it oh in open course. rehearsals.
0: Of course, open rehearsals, which I mentioned during the pre-recorded segment with Christy, are open to anyone who wants to walk in and hear the orchestra rehearsing, and it's a really cool experience. You can get information on uh, dot org, Sorry,
4: cabriomusic.org. Yeah. Um, one other aspect of the commission which makes it so special was that Anna was kind enough to ask about me and what either poetry or art or writing, what it, what would be important to me that might inspire her. Uh-huh. And um, th- the name is from Mary Oliver's poem, Wild Geese which was seminal to me, um, very important piece to me. And I mentioned it uh, probably in our first discussion. And what did you say, Anna? I had, I had a copy of it
3: by my desk, and I had just heard her. Before she passed away, she had done a recording on the radio program On Being, where she recited this poem, and it really stayed with me. So it immediately resonated with me, and seemed like a good point of departure
4: for the music.
0: Ha! what an interesting coincidence.
4: That's the fun part. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So I I wanted to give listeners a sense of your music. So we're going to play a short selection called Masquerade. And um, Anna, did you have anything you wanted to say about this before I play it?
3: Yes, so the performance you're going to hear is Marin Alsop conducting the BBC Symphony at the Last Night of the Prongs back in 2013 and it's the world premiere performance of, of masquerade a short piece um that was written especially to open the last indifference. it's very celebrate celebratory in nature
0: all right wonderful so here we go with masquerade was hard to know where to break it so I thought I'd just break it right there. <laughs> so um, uh, let me turn your sound back on Anna. So Anna tell us a little bit about uh, the process that you use for composing. Where do you start?
3: I always start at the piano so finding a melody or a harmonic progression that catches my ear even though I'm a pretty rusty pianist but I, I have to have a connection to how it feels and the thing about the, the double basses down in your left hand and the flutes and piccolos up in the right there um, so it gives you that resonance which I really love and then once I have some material I then go to my computer I use a notation software called Finale that plays back the music so I find that a really helpful tool, tool. and I use a pair of wireless headphones and as I'm writing I try to imagine if I was a dancer, how that would feel in the, in the body. So that connection between music and physicality is really important part of my creative process. But in terms of the impetus, in the case of Wild Geese, the piece written for Ellen, it's also inspired by, by Ellen and the, um, the poem Wild Geese. So uh, uh, would, it- would you like me to read the poem? I have it here and it's quite short sure me, yeah, sure me share it with you yeah sure go ahead you do not have to be good you do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting you only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves tell me your despair yours and i will tell you mine meanwhile the world goes on Over and, over, and over, over, announcing your place in the family of things. So it's very evocative and beautiful poem. So in the case of this piece, that was really the point of departure. And I started by finding some uh, bird songs and then translating those to the piano, and then finding melodies that I could riff on based on those.
0: Uh uh-huh, So so you said bird songs. Was that what yes, you said? Yes, like
3: bird. Yes, yeah, some bird calls. Uh-huh. And
0: so which this, which birds? I mean geese are the obvious ones, but did you use others?
3: Yes, they're a bit too squawky. So I, I just found some <laughs> I have a book of um, <laughs> a book of bird songs. So I just transcribed the ones that caught my ear and also some birds from our garden. I live up here in Hudson Valley where we have a wonderful dawn chorus. So I've captured some of those bird songs.
0: I, when you said "squawky," I immediately thought of uh, uh, you know the goose symphony starring starring the the horn section, the brass section, having a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Ellen, can you talk a little bit about what you heard in the poem that you thought that Anna might be able to work with?
4: Well, I mean, the the poem itself brings tears. To my eyes just even now as she read it um, there was it was important to me at a moment when um, life and work and everything felt overwhelming uh, many years ago and there was a sense of permission for flight and for being um, and as it says kind of a place in the world um, so it it was seminal for me, and I do read it often to release myself, in a sense, from the pressures of the world. Um, and also it feels pivotal at this moment because I am stepping down from a position and trying, in some ways, to find flight and a sense of, uh, in, in that in uncertainty a sense of it being okay just to be and to figure out what that means next.
0: Mm-hmm. And Anna, were there any words in particular in the poem that inspired the music um, in any way, any any direct way, or do you feel like the words have a, more of an abstract relationship to the music you wrote?
3: Well, I think there's a sort of vastness in the imagery of you know moving across the landscapes, the prairies, the mountains, the rivers. These are very grand images, and that resonates a lot to me as a composer with writing for the orchestra that has the ability to create these large canvases of sound. Um, So I really use that as a point of departure too. And one of the things I love about Cabrillo is you know as a festival so open to trying new things, and that's so so rare as a composer to have um an audience and an orchestra and a conductor and an organization that is open to experimentation and i'm really excited for this premiere because it uh, one of the reasons is it incorporates the use of technology in a new way it's a piece that involves the augmented orchestra whereby we expand the sound palette of the orchestra with live electronic processing so it's you know in expanding the, the orchestra in this way i'm hoping to create these sort of large sonic canvases that kind of mirror mary oliver's visual imagery in this poem
0: interesting and and so will you be here to work with the musicians
3: yes Uh, i'll be there um in about a week and a half and i I can't wait it's been mm -hmm. the last time i was there was in 2019 pre-pandemic so i'm really looking forward to seeing everybody um, in just a couple of weeks
0: because I, I, when you said that it's going to um, use the orchestra in a new way, my, my first thought was there are a lot of orchestra musicians who might not want to be used in a new way, but I'm assuming that these musicians uh, like that and welcome that. Do you have any experience with that and any, um, what are some of the things that you think that, that will be different for them um, from, from the point of view of performing the music?
3: That's a great question. So, In terms of performing the music, um, it's very standard in that way that, that each musician has their part and that, you know, Christy will lead that. But what some examples of the augmentation is, for example, I have a section where the lower strings play this almost fugal-like subject um, that in my mind is should evoke the sound of an organ. But what we do is in real time we grab the double bases and we pitch shift them down two octaves, so you get those subtones that you get in an organ ah. that you wouldn't hear um, as a composer. I wouldn't have access to those subtones. I'm limited by the even though the bases go very low, they don't go quite that low. Um, and then things like having the woodwinds sustain the resonance whilst they then play other gestures. So um, it, it'll be really interesting to to see how the musicians react, Um, I'm sure to begin with, it'll be like, oh, where did that sound come from? Because the concept of the augmented orchestra is also that it's very subtly integrated. Um, Our hope is that, and I should say, it's a collaboration with audio engineer, Jody Elf, who's also my husband's, which makes it uh, Mm -hmm. very practical to to workshop here at our home in the Hudson Valley. Um, But yeah, so it should be a really sort of seamless and subtle integration of technology and the live orchestra shouldn't be distracting in any way. Wow,
0: sounds really fascinating. and And so, you know, I think that a lot of people who are have have these set ideas of what classical music is might not really understand what sometimes happens at the Cabrillo Festival. So, Ellen, could you talk about that a little bit? What are some of the things besides this the sort of thing that that Anna's talking about that, that the composers have done with this this awesome instrument
4: they're given? Yeah, um, our festival orchestra is an awesome instrument. That's a wonderful way to put it. And what Christy has done is curated programs that have just the breadth of possibilities. And I think that's what I'd like to convey to people, is that whatever they think... Uh, might be contemporary orchestral music or think they might not like about it, they don't know because (laughs) it's a whole world of music and use of orchestra. And I really like that in the course of your two shows, Suki, that we have heard beautiful, lyrical, harmonic sounds, and we have heard... Um, The use of an orchestra that made it sound like nature or, you know, and that's what's so extraordinary is being in that space uh, with the talent of Christie and our players and the openness to imagine it in different ways and to give voice to these composers um, uh, who... Who use that instrument with delight and and come as much because of the audience and this openness and the players um, as you know as anything. I mean, they they do get to hear their music elsewhere, but there is something very special that happens here, um, and part of that is the open rehearsals and the ability for people to tune themselves to the vocabulary mm-hmm. and to. Listen to the journey because a piece is really being sculpted. The orchestra has has the music a month before they arrive. They are working on it, but they are working on their part in isolation. And when they come together, it already sounds like amazing. And then you get to hear it um, really... um, dial in, get on the rails. That's what Christy is doing and doing with the composer. And it's really fun to listen to. And then, you know, cross your fingers almost every <laughs> single time. Uh, the peak moment is when it's in performance, you get all the adrenaline of everybody, you've got all the rehearsals behind you. And then it's just on fire, you know, yeah.
0: Well, composer Anna Klein, I want to thank you because I have a few questions, sort of historical questions for Ellen next. And thank you, Anna, and I look forward to hearing your piece. Thank you so much. All right, so Ellen, we I, first I should I should tell listeners that this is Talk of the Bay. You are listening to K Squid, K S Q D Talk of the Bay, and we are talking about the Cabrillo Festival of Contemporary Music. And so this hour, we have had quite a tour through the festival. We've had uh, the first part of the hour. I spoke with Christy Macholaru, who is the um, the conductor and musical director, and then we had Gabriela Ortiz, who uh, called in from Mexico and. And Anna Klein, who called in from, it sounded like the Hudson Valley. And in the studio with me, I have um, Ellen Pramek who is retiring this year. And so I wondered if you could cast your mind back. (laughs) And um, I know that you told me on Monday that one of the things I thought was interesting is when you started this job, you didn't know the music. It wasn't something that was your... Um, passion to listen to contemporary
4: classical music. No, um, I hadn't had much exposure to it. My sibling um, Sarah and Cliff um, uh, had come to the Korea Festival for years, <gasps> and were passionate about the festival and knew the quality of the festival. So when I was hoping to move here and um, interviewed. Uh, They were already enthusiastic And as I mentioned For me being able to use the talents I have To support artists Was really a personal mission And I had done that in the visual arts And I love the visual arts And I knew a lot more Uh, The exposure to this music uh, Has been a great gift to me I am not musical Um, I know a lot about the creators And a lot about the process now uh, and um, it's a joy to be behind the scenes with the rest of the staff. And as we say in our most poetic way, as I quote Tom Fredericks, uh, our job for 50 weeks is to prepare the sacred ground for our artists, and then they come in and they make the magic. And the music is gorgeous, and there are people who we've been able to champion for years and audience members who have championed us and watch these composers develop their career and their musical voice. And so that is a great privilege in my life. Uh, I love it. I especially love orchestral music. That's new. I like all things new myself uh, in terms of art and in terms of, um, music, uh, and, um, uh, and I look forward to enjoying the festival for many more years to come. I'm a big fan of contemporary orchestral music now. So
0: we'll still see you on the floor. But oh, yeah. No, I,
4: I'm actually not retiring retiring. I will be um, I'll be consulting with the festival for um, six months uh, um, as of October 1st, part-time, and consulting, hopefully, with other arts organizations and continuing my work and continuing as a huge fan of the mm-hmm. festival, um, cheering on from uh, from the seats.
0: Well, casting our eye from the beauty of the arts to the sad reality of life, can you talk a little bit about funding? And, you know, you talked about how the commission for, that was... Um, that was done for with Anna for you um was was funded by a donor and what does the what does the landscape for this music look like right
4: now and what 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 Mm
0: -hmm. do you have and what do you need
4: thank you for asking um we need right now We need people to know that our dates are July 30th through August 13th, and the best thing you can do to support the arts and music in our community and in this nation and in the world is to show up. Um, We have, you know, patterns of behavior have changed through the pandemic, and people have gotten out of that rhythm of of life and being in the world in that way and it's so rewarding it's so important and I just want to encourage people it will make you feel alive again and it will make the artists feel alive again to have you there to have you through the open rehearsals and at performances and to buy tickets and to support us financially with donations um, to make it so accessible to everyone which we do Um, uh, so Um, Our audience uh, and patrons have been incredibly generous, but the financial landscape is challenging. Um, Foundation support has diminished. You know, we, we were so distinctive. Uh, in what we do. And our vision was that orchestras all across America and the world would start to do works by living composers, and that would become commonplace. And the good news is that that is happening more and more. The good news is that the the attention to topical programming, relevant programming, diverse programming that Christy machalu Machelaro has been doing, for these years, is becoming um, part of the musical landscape of all orchestras in America. But it and and our and our um, our great opportunity now for the Cabrillo Festival is to be ahead of everyone once again to keep that place at the tip of the arrow. And that's what Christy will do. We have bold initiatives coming up in the coming years. And we need people to step up and support us in that. And in this community, which has always been so generous, to, um, to come and support this, because it is so much of what the Cabrillo Festival is is based on the ferment of this community the sense of openness the sense of adventure the sense of intel sense of intellectual curiosity and so um we need financial support we need spiritual support we need people to come and cheer our artists on and um we have an incredible board and staff and um For us to keep doing what we do at the level at which we do, I just invite the whole community to come and enjoy that and continue to champion us.
0: Wonderful. And and we are going out to a much larger community than we used to. And this, this festival does take place in Santa Cruz. But I will tell those of you listening outside of Santa Cruz that people come from all over to go to this festival. People come and, and they stay in hotels and the, the musicians are coming from all over. So it is it's located in Santa Cruz, but it's it's truly an international festival. So we only have a minute left, and my last question is: is sum up what being associated with this festival means to you personally?
4: Oh, um, I have had an extraordinary career. I have been surrounded by creative, committed devoted people um, who are passionate about music and the arts. What could be a better life? (laughs) What
0: could be better? So we have been speaking with Ellen Premack of the um, Cabrillo Festival of Contemporary Music, which you can learn more about at cabrillomusic.org. Please do go and learn about it. And if you missed part of this or if you missed Monday's interview both of them will be available on ksqd.org so please check out our website and uh, many of our podcast our programs are podcasted so you can subscribe if that is something you like to do